Hello, 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 and welcome to The Fandom Show, the podcast where we learn about fantastic fandoms by talking to our favorites about their favorites. I'm Kaya Green. <laughs> I'm Stephanie Malik. And today we are talking about the video game that launched an entire genre of survival horror. It is Resident Evil. Wow. Wow. Steph. Yeah. What do you know about Resident Evil? It's a video game. Resident Evil. It's a scary video game it that is. I can never play because it's scary. Because it's too scary? It's too scary. I know that there's... Okay, so... Once I had a boyfriend who was playing Resident Evil 4. Once so upon a I time. saw a little bit of background. There was a younger girl and a guy, I think his name was Leon. Okay. Um, he's kind of a blonde dude, I think. Um, that's it. Okay, great. <laughs> what do you great. know about Resident okay. Evil? Here's what I know about Resident Evil. I know from looking it up that it used to be called Biohazard. And oh. then Biohazard was hard, a hard name to get, so they called it Resident Evil. Um, that is a fact I learned from Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> so besides that, I know that it's a video game. I know that uh, there were movies. I know Kate Beckinsale. I believe, was in those movies. Or was it uh, no, Mila not Jokovic? Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. Ignore me. I don't know anything. Kate Beckinsale um, was Underworld, I think. That's the one. Yeah, thank you very much for that correction. You're welcome. Um, so, yeah, nothing. I think nothing is clearly the answer to that question. I know nothing. Amazing. Uh, do you know who does know a bunch about it? I can't. I can't imagine. Oh, well, guess what? <laughs> it's our guest. Uh, today, our guest is our very own pod dad and producer extraordinaire, host of the Talk from Superheroes podcast, and uh, avid fan of Resident Evil, it's Andrew Ivamy. Hi. Andrew. Hello, hello, hello. I love being called pod dad. It makes me feel good and oh, warm. Oh, so yeah. It makes me feel nice. Oh, that's, good. That's nice. I'm glad you consent to that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm like, we're all a pod family. We're it feels very fam. nice. Yeah, it feels very yeah. warm. Yeah. Uh, but yes, I do know about Resident Evil, and... Uh, most of your things were pretty solid on. Like, you know, like, you're, I think you did great with the description off the top. I like that you you qualified that it is the the birth of the genre survival horror, which it very much is. It Again? created a genre. It is still called Biohazard, technically. That is, really? That is a region-dependent name. Oh. Uh, so essentially, like, when it came out, it was the, it's called Biohazard in Japan and in other regions. Uh, but in North America, I think there was, like, another game named Biohazard. There was a band named Biohazard, a show named Biohazard, and they were like, this is fucked. A symbol uh, named Biohazard. Yeah, yeah, so they were like, they just called it Resident Evil in North America. But that's a that's a regional difference. Whoa, yes. I am already learning. I am so excited to know more about this. This is exciting. <laughs> oh, okay, so we'll start from the top. How would you explain Resident Evil to someone who knows nothing about it, a.k.a. us? <laughs> uh, zombies. Zombies, nom nom. It is a, a zombie. <laughs> uh, they'll nibble at you. Uh, it is, it is a, a zombie video game, uh, a video game series that's been going on since 1996, uh, of which there are dozens of video games. There has been eight movies and now a television show and it is continuing on. There have been books, comics, uh, a million different things. It is a, it birthed a genre and is incredibly popular, but essentially it would be a subdivision to make it like a, a more common genre of zombies. It is a zombie or zombie adjacent horror video game uh, where sometimes zombies are coming for you, sometimes big creatures, sometimes an alligator gets mutated with the zombie virus sure. and now is a 100-foot-tall alligator and whatnot. So oh, no. it, 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 it goes to creatures, it goes to other things, and it's 
big, bombastic, with incredibly like loud personalities. It's it's a Japanese series, and it it has moments of seriousness and genuine horror, but also it has these like big, bombastic, silly personalities that borderline on wrestling at times. Oh, what? Where it's like whenever a character betrays you, like in a film or TV show, it feels like if a character betrays someone, it's a betrayal. In this one, it feels like a heel turn, which is such a different wrestling specific thing where it is someone who was like, I did bad all along. And I'm like, yes, you did. Uh, so there's a lot of that. But yeah, it's just, it's fun. It's scary. It's very dramatic. Uh, and uh, it's a, it's one of my favorite video game series. Oh my gosh. Okay. Amazing. I'm already sold. Okay. So, well, how did you get into this? What is your origin story? Uh, my origin story for this one is I did not get into it at first. Uh, because when the first game came out, I was about uh, 11, and I think I tried to play it at a friend's place, and it was too difficult for me to play. Mm. And I was like, and you know when you're young and a thing is difficult, it is difficult because it is dumb, and it is garbage, <laughs> and you hate it, and they made it bad. Yes, yes, yes that's yes, when, when you're when young. young. Yes. yes. <laughs> Yes, yeah, yes. When we're when we're young, it's never happened no, since we, then. We grow up. Ask of that. me about the Mordor game for Lord of the Rings, and we'll talk about that. Oh one. Jesus, I had a very similar experience with the Mordor. Oh my God, so that hard. one is like legitimately extremely so, difficult. It's dumb. It is, it it's is, a dumb game. It's dumb. It's dumb, and it's bad, and yeah. they made it wrong. It's broken. Because, they should feel yeah, bad. Not it's their me. fault. Absolutely, they should. <laughs> that was my first experience with it. Was not liking it, thinking it's dumb, and and to be fair, it is. And at least those first several games were in North America very difficult. They were at, at, in the scale of video games at the time. They're not like modern day Dark Souls, but they were very difficult at the time. And by design, they were made to be incredibly challenging and difficult because when the game first came out uh, in, in Japan, they increased the difficulty for its North American release. Uh, so it was like you get fewer bullets, fewer supplies. They increase the health of the enemies. They decrease the health of you, the character. Damn. Why? Because in North America, blockbuster and video game rentals were way bigger than it was in the Asian market. Mm. And so they wanted to make a game that was too difficult to complete on a single rental Whoa. so that you would actually buy the video game and not rent it. You bitches. That is evil. So it is. That's the Resident Evil. That's the titular Resident Evil. <laughs> Capitalism. Yeah, yeah. I mean... But, but that said, it was so difficult, I bounced off it as an 11-year-old. Then I think I revisited it as a, like, 14, 15, maybe. Uh, and also, like, I was a poor kid who was always a generation behind on video game systems. So I remember going over to a friend's house who had a PlayStation. And at that point, like, I'm still playing a Sega Genesis. Like, I'm wrecked. I'm way behind. <laughs> uh, so, uh, because we were poor. And, and like, my friend was like, you should play Resident Evil. And I'm like, that game, that's dumb and sucks. And they made it wrong. <laughs> uh, and then he was like, no, here's how it works. And I was like, oh, my God. And I remember, like, falling apart. Like, having, like, I remember, like, my friend's mom being like, you've got to go. Like, being at their house too long. And I'm like, but I don't have a PlayStation at home. Oh, no. Uh, Can so you with me? Falling in love so quickly. And that was me playing the first one. And I think it was, like, coming up on the release of the second one and being so excited oh. and immediately getting into it. Good timing. And, like, getting a PlayStation oh. for it. So it really just... 
it was such an exciting moment. It was something I'd never seen or played or felt before, and I, I adored it for it. Oh, and you got to start on the ground floor of a fandom. That's so fun. I, and that's the nice thing, I think, about video games in general. Like, uh, I, obviously Resident Evil being the, the case in this scenario, but video games in general is such a young art form that it's like you can be in on the ground floor of something that defined a generation and an yeah. art form and, like, all of the, like, all a large portion of the creators who broke ground are still around to yeah. be talked to about yeah. how things have evolved. And it's a fast-moving art form that has evolved so quickly, but all of the original creators are still around. So video games are just a fascinating thing to be part of in that regard, cool. I think. Oh, whoa. I love that. When when you were, I, the gameplay <clears throat> changed for you. Did uh, When you started playing it at like 15 years old, did you like, how, how did you find the content? Were you like, fuck yeah, horror? Was it scary to you? Like uh, It was, oh, it was scary as hell. And like, that's by design. I think this series yeah. is successfully scary to the point that like today, some of these games, I've played them, you know, dozens of times. I know them inside out and I enter a hallway and I'm like this is the hallway where the zombie dog's about to burst through the window and I'm just tapping the analog stick moving my character a fraction of a step forward <laughs> yeah, and I'm like it's gonna happen off. any second it's gonna happen any, and then it does happen and I go ah Jesus yeah. so it's still <laughs> like, it, it is still horrifying to a certain degree uh, no matter what, but at the time it was it was absolutely terrifying and like it it did so much technologically uh, that and not to be like a video game art historian because no, please. for people who have, who weren't there then, I think this is a series that has evolved and become something that is accessible to everyone and is still releasing games today and very relevant today. Uh, but just at the time, it did so much with so many technological limitations and ways that were so incredibly clever. Like There were things that I found horrifying and unsettling about it, like the fact that like a lot of video games, you can kind of go around the room and inspect things in the room because you're yeah. looking for clues or items or objects. And sometimes, you know, not everything has a thing on it. Sometimes you look at a painting, and it's not a painting that's a puzzle. It's just a painting in a room. Yeah. But a little description will come up on the bottom of the screen, and there was a thing Resident Evil did where they would write in the second person, which it would be like, you are looking at this painting. It's nothing of significance, but its eyes seem to be following you around the room. It's upsetting you. And there was something about reading in the very rare second person that was additionally upsetting yeah. uh, and is kind of like unsettling. And I'm like, and like, it would be like, you feel unsettled. And I'm like, I do feel. Yeah. You're right. I, right. I don't like that. It, it almost is like in a movie or a horror show or something when someone looks directly down the barrel of the camera. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I shouldn't. I shouldn't be seen like that. They saw me. They saw me. They know I'm here. That's, yeah. That's J Dame Judi Dench and Cats. Yeah. yeah. And I'm seriously a different same type of effect. horror, but yes, yeah. yeah. But it had but the same like, effect. Kaya tried to crawl backwards over the chair in yeah. the theater, and I was sober. I was yeah. sober. Um, you never. You want to feel seen, not be seen. Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Is and, the the difference there? Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. That's so interesting, and I've definitely felt that before with like with with other horror things. So, like, what are the what other elements of it that sort of defined this genre? Because as we were talking about before, survival mm. horror is kind of a subgenre of horror um, that you now see with things like Last of Us and other similar games. Yeah. So, what was so different about this when it came out? I would even say that like things that have done, you know, to air quote survival horror as a genre since still haven't even quite done it the same because one thing that is consistent over the like dozen games that they have done, 
Uh, and I think it might be like 15 or 18 when you include like handheld systems and this mm-hmm. and that. But you are, you're just trying to get by for the most part. Like there are definitely events within the game where it's like a friend gets bit. Can you get to the lab and synthesize a cure and save your friend? Or like this place is going to self, uh, self-destruct. Can you get out of here in time? So there's definitely like micro goals but for the most part each game just kind of ends with you surviving like you don't really stop the company or the disease or the virus pretty much every game just ends in you getting away and a place self-destructing so it really is like a survival horror in the sense where it's like you never truly win. It's just you kind of made it through the night, and that's the goal. Uh, But it's also called survival horror because, like, everything is... With a lot of video games, you are made to feel godlike. It's meant to make you, the player, feel more powerful and more in control and to do these incredible things that you could never do. And this is a video game franchise that with some exceptions, and there's ebbs and flows, but is designed to do the exact opposite, to make you feel underpowered, underprepared, and in fact, less than. Uh, And it does a really, and that adds a lot to the horror of it, to be like, I'm in over my head. Yeah. Like, I bought this video game today, (laughs) and I'm in over my head. That shouldn't be how video games work, but I love how that makes me feel. Yeah. Yeah, and not just in a difficulty curve way, but just in a, like, the first game, you you have a choice between two different characters. You can play Chris or Jill, and you're investigating this incident in a mansion. And when you do it, it's like you're you're an investigator. You show up with a gun that has 15 bullets, and it's a mansion that you unknowingly has hundreds of zombies oh. and giant monsters and creatures. Ooh. So you meet the first one, and you maybe kill it or maybe run away if you've played the game multiple times, depending on what your reaction is. But you unload all of your bullets in it, and then you're like, oh, wait, the mansion are full of these things. There's never enough supplies for what you want to do for the most oh, part. So, so you've got to pick and shoot choose your battles as well to be like there's a hallway full of zombies am I going to run past them maybe take a little damage am I going to skip this whatever item might be at the other side of the room so there's a lot of like give and take and weighing Uh, and the initial games one thing that they're known for is their very particular camera angle so like it is a third person camera but it's a mounted camera. The camera doesn't move. It's 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 almost like it's almost like a film. It's a directorial style, but it's similar to almost like CCTV camera footage. Most of the angles oh. are from like a corner of a room oh. or hallway, and that in itself adds a certain pervasive and un- unsettling feeling about yeah. it. Uh, but then it's also the fact that you have what are called tank controls. So instead of the controls being relative to the camera, you can spin your character left to right and move forward or back. So it's what's called tank controls in a video game. And that kind of makes you feel underpowered and out of control and like you don't quite have a certain sense. And because of these dedicated camera angles, you can't always see where the character sees. So like the character will be rounding a corner and maybe it's at a point where the character should be able to see around a corner, but the camera change has purposefully not clicked in yet. Uh, So you are always kind of rounding into the unknown uh, in any given scenario. And that adds a lot of horror to these games, at least the original ones that do this camera style for me. Yeah. Oh my God. It sounds like they were really firing on all cylinders to try and make every element of this work at you. Absolutely. And (laughs) I think what, what is brilliant. So, and right now we're kind of talking about the design of this is games one to three, I would say that has this, 
camera style, control style, one to three, and then there's a prequel game, zero. But generally speaking, let's say zero to three use this style. And it was all just brilliant horror developments based on constraint. And that is one thing I love about this series is that it is something that it shows the birth of creativity that comes out of having constraints applied against you, which yeah. I think is a lot of what great art happens. Absolutely. So, like, this game, they went in to make development of it. It was a, a flavor of a flavor. There was a Japanese movie called Sweet Home, they, which is about, like, a horrifying home you go into that's haunted with ghouls and goblins. And they made a video game, and they were like, let's make a better video game. And then it evolved eventually into Resident Evil. But what they wanted was some things that they couldn't technologically accomplish. So, like, they wanted a floating uh, first-person camera kind of, a, kind of a thing. But they're like, we can't technologically do it, and we want the environments to look better. So by making it these stagnant cameras, they were able to pre-render environments. So the environments look like a painting. Whoa. And the environments look way better than anything else did at the time because of this. So they were able to make everything look better because of that technical constraint. Oh. Interesting. And then that technical constraint and they wanted things to look better, made them lop off the camera. And by doing that, it creates then this CCTV camera footage, this kind of pervasive, uncomfortable camera angle for a lot of it. And it allows them also to try to do stylized directorial choices with where the camera placement will be. And then you add to that the, the technological constraint at the time. I can't remember the exact number, but it was like they could o they only had the polygons to animate. It was like four to seven characters on screen at a time, including the player characters. So you could never be facing more than three zombies, essentially. Huh. But the way they would design rooms and the camera changes is that it wasn't rendering characters that weren't on camera. So if a room is a horseshoe shape and it has four camera angles, each of those four camera angles can have three zombies oh. in it, which can make you feel like you're in a claustrophobic room with 24 zombies while only ever having to computer generate three at a time. Wow. But that, that technological limitation then made them create a camera angle that purposefully obstructs your view and vision of what's to come. And that adds to the horror to be like, I'm fighting three zombies and you shoot them and you take them down and then you hear the audio design of like, oh. Oh, and you're like, fuck, there's another one around the corner. And it, it also then influenced, we need very good audio design because we need to tell you something you can't see. So now it's this, the te technological limitations has created this directorial style and this camera and this sense of the unknown, which then influences audio design, which has to tell you what you can't see, which is this level of kind of anticipation that creates a horror. And it's all of these, like the, the art that came out of technological constraint, I think is one of these like beautiful, perfect, everything came together moments for these first three games. Damn. Sick. Uh, so we've talked a lot about those first three games. Uh, what do you think are the standout games in the series? Is it those first three games for you? Is there one that, like, tugs at you? Uh, I, the one that tugs at me personally is Resident Evil 2. Okay. It's the second one, and they also made a re remake uh, recently with, like, new technology and visual effects. That's also very good. But 2 is the one that is in my heart and soul. Like, that's the one that I've played so many times. It's sickening <laughs> that I live and breathe that one. I would say that there are, like, go-to favorites for everyone in the series. Two, four, seven 
yeah. are the ones that kind of everybody is is into. So two, four, seven are confidently, I think, some of the best in the series. There's a remake of one that's also very good. It, it gets uh, a little bit complicated there, but two, four, seven, two is the one that I absolutely adore. Uh, and then I think part of the reason why I really like two, and I, I really like uh, one and two, in both of the games, you can choose between two main characters. You can choose in the first game, it, it's it's Jill and uh, and Chris, yeah. these two like SWAT team type people. In the second game, it's Leon and Claire, uh, and. What I like about it is that each of these games, in these first two in the series, have an A and a B story. So it's not just choosing your character to play through the game. Each character is at the same place experiencing different events in different rooms. So it's not just, did you play the game as, as Leon or Claire? It's, did you play as Leon A, Claire B, or Claire B, Leon A? Oh. So it will be like, you play through uh, the Resident Evil 2 game. It's like, you're, you're, the, the city has become overrun with zombies. You're in a police precinct. And it's like, you're playing through scenario A with Leon. And you start out, you meet Claire, you get separated by an explosion, and you both enter the police precinct from different ends of the police precinct. And that is where each person's story begins, and they're happening simultaneously. Yeah. And like you can find, it's like, it's a locker, and it has a machine gun or a shotgun in it. Which are you going to take? And you take one, and it's like, I'm going to leave the other one for Claire. Mm -hmm. And then when you play Claire B, you get to that locker, oh, and it's whoa. just the sh So little things like this, where each one influences one another, and it's another thing that was born of technological constraint. They originally wanted the game to be a two-player co-op thing, mm. but the technology wasn't there. It was like, we can't render that much. We can't do it. But now we've written all of these events happening simultaneously, so let's make an A and B storyline. Yeah. Uh, so so it's just – it's really interesting stuff like that where in – in one story, a person's a villain, and in another one's a hero. Like in Resident Evil Two, there is when you're when you're playing as uh, as Leon, you meet this scientist, uh, Annette Birkin, who's the the wife of the man who developed the virus, and you know this, and you're like, I fucking hate her. <laughs> she made the virus, she released it, and she's trying to get a sample and get out of the city. And you're like, fuck this woman, I hate this woman. But if you play as Claire B. You meet this woman's 10-year-old daughter first, who has a locket on her necklace that has a sample of the virus in it. And the mother is looking for her daughter. So if you're playing as Claire, you meet this woman from the perspective of a woman who's trying to find her daughter. But when you play as Leon, you meet this woman from the perspective of a woman who's trying to secure a sample of a biological virus that oh. happens to be around her daughter's neck. So it, it's just this beautiful, like, it's really nice. And I think the other thing that I really connected with, with one and two when I was younger as well, is that it, it's, it was 1996. And I'm like, you, it's a strong female protagonist, which was rare in video yeah. games at the time. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's still fucking rare now, unfortunately, yeah. where like there's major companies within the past four years that have had scandals and email leaks to be like, we think the public's not ready for a lady in a video game. And it's like, are you insane? This redefined games and it was 96. Strong female protagonist, which I love. And then also the thing about these AB simultaneous confluxing storylines is that it really gave me a feeling that this is no one's story. Like it is, there's not a central character and people stop existing when that character's not in the room. I'm like, 
everyone is the main protagonist of their own story in both life and these events. Yes. And I really like that. And even with all the extra content that this is released as a series where it'll be like, here's a side story of a guy who survived in an alley or whatever. And it's like, yeah, that's... That's the protagonist of that person's story. Yeah. Everyone's the protagonist of their Whoa. own story was a thing that felt very powerful to me. Cool. And it wasn't just like, there's one really cool dude who's the person sucks. the story's about. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like, yeah, anyone who's alive is the protagonist of their own story, no yeah. matter what they might be. That's so interesting. And it's also so present in the, like, I don't, I am not like well-versed in video games and especially not in horror games because I'm what they like to call a coward. Um, and uh, <laughs> so I'm very slow slowly trying to get into horror because I actually really like the genre. I'm just what they like to call a coward. Uh, so I uh, am I'm starting to get into it. But like even with the few things that I'm starting to play now or like Last of Us, which I am a huge fan of, mm -hmm. I can see influences of that on all of those things. Like yes. even on the very last Last of Us. Oh, which, Last of Us, I think, is very influenced yeah. by that, that uh, the simultaneous storylines and yep. one person's hero is another's villain, yeah. which is... Not new to media, but Resident Evil, I think, was the first big one to do it in games. And still fairly rare in games, too, because it is so, like, protagonist-driven and so, like, mm -hmm. uh, so power fantasy-driven. Yes. You yeah. know? Yeah. Um, so Resident Evil, uh, they follow a lot of different characters. What does it sound? Do you have personal favorites? Like, who are, who are your favorites? Ooh. Oh, that's a great question. I actually don't know who my personal fave from is the it series, the virus? I mean, I I might like Al Albert Wesker as a villain. Like he's the villain of the series, and he's just a fun, hammy, over the top. Only wears black leather. Like he's the oh only. He's the only dude who's like chosen a style and a look. Yeah. Or, like the world's falling apart, and he's still like getting his like tailor made leather he's outfits. Going to yeah, all, the dry <laughs> all sponsored by Danye. Uh, a very so I think just I love him. Uh, as a villain, I, I think I'm I think I'm a Leon person because uh, Leon was in two and four and a few of them, and it's just like he's just got this floppy boy band haircut, and he's oh. just really like, has a Nick Carter haircut. It really it's so Nick. It's Carter. a very dated haircut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and coming back, coming back. It's <laughs> it, it is the center part. It is it's making its way back. I'm pointing at Kyra right now. Who <laughs> what me? Very who? similar mm, hair. I don't yeah. know. Dye that blonde. It's a little bit Leon Kennedy Wait two from months. Resident Evil. Yeah. <laughs> Wait two months. Oh really? Kyra will have bleach well, blonde hair. Spike has blonde hair, and ah, it's gonna be a Halloween thing. Okay, so. okay. It's all coming back to the nineties. Yeah. It's all coming back to a nineties center part boy yep. band flop. And we all have to enjoy this now because I think after this, it's not coming back again for a while. And so. we're to two thousands, and nobody wants that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, I think it might be Wesker who is a villain, and then it's it's Leon is probably my main, just because uh, I don't know. He's just a weird kind of. It, it was his first day when it all happened. Was the plot line of Resident <laughs> Evil Two? Oh, no. He's driving into town, and it's his first day as a cop, and he's just like, "What's going on here?" Oh fuck! And I just <laughs> I just like that idea of a dude who's just like, "It's my first day." Yeah. And, uh, that is that is charming and oh. likable in its own regard. Oh, we love an underdog. We love an underdog. <laughs> Do you have any characters where you're like, please, I wish they weren't in this Just game. Fuck this Just person. Get out. Uh, I think that there's a couple. I mean, there's there's a lot of characters that are flat out bad, but there's a couple that are might be bad and they work. Like the recent games, seven and eight. Uh, it's first person perspective. It's back to true true horror. And the lead character you play as, um, who it is just 
uh, Ethan Winters, I believe. Uh, and Ethan is just just a nothing human being. <laughs> just a wet suit of a man. Just a bag of milk that came to life. He's nothing. He's n- nothing. Like the whole plot of Seven. And Seven works. Seven's a brilliant piece of art. And it might be done on purpose. And I think it actually works really well. In Seven and Eight, I think as a series, they were like, the stars are the villains. Mm. The stars are these big bombastic villains. So Seven, if you ask uh, some people who are not super fans who maybe played Seven, who are the characters in Seven? They'll tell you the Baker family, which is this, like, it's it's this, it's in, uh, uh, this dilapidated house in Louisiana. They all have their own powers. It's very Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yeah. creepy American body very horror. Yep. And they are all these big, bombastic characters. Uh, and they all have, like, their own powers. One can heal. One can turn into fucking bees. Like, they're insane. Oh, I hate villains that uh, heal. I hate them. I yeah. hate them. They're the worst. Well, they're all gonna they're all gonna heal a bit on you on this one, Kaya. No. You're gonna hate that. <laughs> Man. But the main character of Seven and Eight, which has this, uh, and Eight has this fantastic cast of, of, uh, of, like, castle dwellers of, like, Heisenberg, Lady Dimitrescu, who became very popular online, who's, like, a eight foot tall giant woman who could just fucking crush you uh, and rips ass. Uh, Everybody loves Everybody loves Lady D. I love Lady D. We were rooting for Lady D. She rips ass. I I love Capcom is the video game company that makes the series and I love that like recently there was uh, around the trailers for She-Hulk there was this conversation about uh, uh, there was some leaked stuff that was like Marvel gave some feedback that was like She-Hulk should be like a little bit small and yep. more feminine. Both. And like a year prior with uh, Resident Evil 8, Resident Evil Village it was called, came out and all, even when the trailer for that game released and people saw Lady Dimitrescu who's like eight foot tall, thick and is like picking up your baby boy character with two fingers above her head and is like, you're nothing, Ethan. Oh my god! And immediately everyone online was like, Yes, please. <laughs> I love Give her. me more. So I love that Marvel was like, make the woman smaller. And Capcom was like, we want her fucking huge. Yeah. Oh, and everyone shit. loved huge woman. Yes. Everyone loved huge yes. woman. Let's get thick mommy. Let's do it. Like oh. a glamorous. Yes. Oh, yeah, like, glam mom, the oh. cigarette on the, I forget what the little sticks are called. Just, I think there's a name for the little yeah, sticks. Yeah, the little like the little, little glamour cigarette. sticks. I yeah. feel like that's like Cruella DeVille did CrossFit. <laughs> oh my god! Is yeah. that is that a fair assessment? No, I think powerlifting Cruella Deville is what I would give it more. Pa- okay. I think CrossFit was more of a lean thing. Okay, yeah, yeah. We're, powerlifting Cruella Deville, yeah, I could see. We're going like Olympic, yeah. Olympic heavyweight. Yeah, Dang. Cruella Deville. Mm-hmm. Holy shit! I I want that. I want I want that. I'm too scared yeah. of her to play the game, but yeah. I enjoy. Yeah, that. like this woman okay. had breakfast at Tiffany's and then burned down that Tiffany's. Like yeah, this yeah. is a powerful ass she, woman. She, she fucking carb loaded at Tiffany. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to need 23 croissants. What the fuck did you just say? Oh, my goodness. I would like Some one dozen art. eggs. Oh, the fan art is horny as hell. Yeah. It's just, oh, I just yeah. came across a fan art of uh, a person holding her giant boobs on their head. Her boobs have muscles. Good yeah. for you, Lady She's D. She's doing great. We're all, pr- we're all very proud of Lady D. <laughs> uh, and she, she, but her, the the um, her, the Baker family, the villains of the stars of seven and eight, and I don't know if it was purposeful or accidental, but the lead character you control, this guy Ethan Winters, is just a nothing human being. It is just like, 
a couple lines of dialogue that are all performed real flat. He's going to this house to look for his wife, Mia, who I think is also a nothing. The whole family, he's got a wife, he's got a daughter. And I'm like, I really could not care less about any of you. Oh, no. You are you are like, if if his, if his name was placeholder A and his <laughs> wife's name was placeholder B and his daughter's name was placeholder C, it would have no effect on the on these two still brilliant games. Yeah. Still brilliant. But they're nothing characters to me. Uh, that says a lot about the games that their protagonists can be yeah. like saltine crackers, and it still, <laughs> still sounds great. Yeah, it was either a beautiful accident or very much on purpose for right. them to be like, we don't want you to be distracted by who you are. We yeah. want you to really soak in who's coming after you. Yeah, maybe one of those, like, we want you to be able to project yourself on this in such a way that the yeah. personality isn't important. I think, yeah. that that's, I think that that's definitely true. And especially for those were the first game in the series that were... First person. The right. first game is in the mainline series that were first person. So, like, you aren't seeing who you are. You are literally, even though, you know, you have a character name and a voice yeah. actor or whatever, you are just, uh, you're embodying it. You're, yeah, not, yeah. you're not having a look or a style or yeah. anything like it's that. It's a Mary Sue, basically, for, yeah. for your adventure gaming. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I'm going to jump to talking about the movies. How do mm. they per- compare to the games for you? Where do they stack? Um, I think I, I I really like the movies, and I think they don't stack or compare. Great. So it's it's one of these things where it's like it's it's barely like the games. They use some of the same creature design, and there's maybe some nice visual moments, but they've done something different, and that's what I like about the movies. Is yeah. that I'm like I frankly don't want a one-to-one ratio translation of anything in media. And Mm -hmm. I feel like we're at a really uncreative and boring point of fandom where a lot of fans want the Zack Snyder effect, which is someone who sees another piece of media and goes, what if I one-to-one made that again? And it's like, well, if you do that, why didn't we just consume the original thing? Just read the book. Yeah. Just blah, 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 blah. Exactly. So I'm like, I don't want one-to-one translations of things. And that's not to say that the movies are above criticism. There's stuff that's bananas. It makes no sense. It does the most insane things of the video games, it does times a million. Like, there was one movie that just ends with the lead character, Mila Jovovich, Alice, realizing that she has been cloned like a bajillion times and the only person left on the earth is her. And it's just clones of her. And then the next movie just starts and it's like, nah, the next movie just doesn't. (laughs) And that's like the end tension credit of one and the next movie's just like, fuck it. They just don't give a shit in the most (laughs) playful way. Oh my God. There are at least three movies that end on a cliffhanger, and then the next movie starts, and they're like, we decided not to, and they just don't. They just don't, and they don't care, and fuck you, that's why. Is it the same people making all the movies? Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, it is It is her, and uh, and and it is her husband who directs all of the movies. Brilliant. They made all of them together, um, and they kept making them just because it's like they're a husband and wife team who are just like, we love working together. We love doing these. We're having a goddamn blast. Yeah. Uh, and let's do it. And and I think it's another, in terms of like inclusivity and uh, and representation in media, it's a great franchise where it is female-led. The majority of the, the cast are POC. And it is, it pulls some of the themes from the video game, which is kind of similar themes to 
uh, Matrix, Terminator, etc., right. where it is just a like a white male corporate greed for technology growth and the future is going to destroy the world and the people whose that burden will be left on are women and people of color. And the entire cast are women and people of color for like seven movies. Sick. They have, wow. a, they have a huge box office. I think it was like the, the sixth one beat Fast and Furious for Whoa. Global. Jesus. And it's just one of these movies that does medium in North America. Yeah. But it, it has such a diverse cast and hits, and from across the globe, it hits globally in yeah. an crazy profitable way. And no one talks about it as being a seven movie female led franchise with only women and POC characters who are running everything. Damn. And I'm like, that's fucking boss as hell. And yeah. I love it. Uh, but they do do insane and stupid shit sometimes. But it's still fun. It's yeah. still fun. I mean, true of Fast and the Furious too. But nobody complains about that. That's the selling point. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. And apparently, it is one of the only video game uh, franchises to keep making more money every time. Yes. Um, yeah. They consistently, that, I think, did. Uh, yeah. Get better yeah. and better. Yeah. Or yeah. in in terms of box office and results, Dang. which is very cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's cool. It's huge. And yeah. It's if you if you love the video games and you're like, I want a one to one. It's not that. Uh, you're not gonna get that. You're, you're, I think you're never gonna get that, and I think that that's kind of for the best. Yeah. yeah. If you want that, just play the game. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, There's a couple animated movies that are kind of like they're original stories, but they are very much like this is the same design. This is Leon. It's the same guy. It's the same voice actor. We're doing it. Yeah. So like, there's a couple animated movies that do what you want it to do if yeah. you're if you're that fan. Yeah. It's all I think more about getting the spirit of it. Like I know mm. with uh, not to keep coming back to Last of Us, mm. but it's my touchstone for this. Sure. But yeah. like, if they make the TV show exactly the same, I, why? Why? Yeah. We all have the video games. Yeah. Yeah. If we can yeah. just play those. Yeah. And and I think that that is part of the selling point of Resident Evil for me, which is that they ha kind of have this three cycle where they will change and then redevelop and redesign and they will do something wild and bananas and something that like people hate until they don't hate it. Uh, and it's like the one, two, and three. So for example, like one, two, and three in the, in the mainline series were these third person, the CCTV kind of camera look. When four was getting ready to come out, uh, it was switching to like a floating over the shoulder, third person, very modern thing. And at first people were like, I don't know, that's not you. That's the, go back to your roots. What is this? And then it came out and people were like, this is the best fucking game ever. And then four and five started losing people or, and, or five and six started losing people and got worse. And then seven comes out. It's like, we're first person. We're full on spooks and scares again. Yeah. Everyone's like, does that? And it, it works incredibly. And there's this ebb and flow of the franchise where it starts out with true horror. It gets into over the top action. As much as I said at the beginning of the podcast that like, you're not meant to feel like a God and you're meant to feel underpowered. I think they do scale up your power as it goes on where it's like it's a kind of a one two three cycle of like you're underpowered you're adequately powered you are you can punch god like it is <laughs> and, and then they're like oops we went too far and then a new one two three cycle starts where it's yeah. like let's get horrifying you're underpowered you're equally powered you can punch god and the cycle keeps kind of repeating yeah. 
And I think that that's what works about it is that even when it doesn't work, that's what makes the next thing work is that there needs to be this ebb and flow and this willingness to fail because if they gave the fans what we think we want consistently for 25 years, it would be the same game and we'd be bored of it. And especially with horror, it's rhythm. And if yeah. the rhythm becomes predictable, then it sucks. Yeah. And even though a lot of the fans hate the action-y uh, the actiony games that came out in its in its franchise, I'm like those are needed to make the horror scarier. You yeah. need to be willing to fail, and just creatively, you need to be willing to fail. And like, and as a fan of something, I'm like, I want you to do a thing I don't like. I would rather, especially liking something for 25 years, I would rather you outgrow me as a fan than bore me as a fan. Yeah, I would much rather reach a point in this fandom where I'm like, frankly, I feel alienated and I feel like they are making this for someone who is n like way younger than me and way different tastes yeah. and style than me. And if that happened, good for you, Resident Evil, yeah. because I'm like, I want you to keep pushing shit until you eventually alienate me yeah. rather than keep giving me the same thing until I'm so bored I leave. It sounds like you're talking to your kid. <laughs> you sound like you're, you're just excited for them to grow up and go and, to college. You know, learn Make things choices. I can learn. You know, I want you to teach mm -hmm. me things in the end. Do it. Do it. <laughs> um, before we jump onto hot takes in just one second, have you watched the TV show yet? What do you? Uh, without spoiling anything, what are your thoughts? Without spoiling, uh, so I have watched the TV show. Uh, for anyone who wants an in-depth perspective on the TV show, there is an episode available out now of uh, Talk from Superheroes, the podcast that I co-host with Diana McCollum, also on this network. So wherever you're listening to this, search for Talk From Superheroes. Subscribe if you haven't already. Episode went up yesterday about the Resident Evil TV show on Netflix. And uh, it's, it's another one where I'm like, I think it's fine. Uh, I think that it is definitely catering to a much younger demographic than me. It was not made for a 36-year-old man. <laughs> and I think that that is okay. And you're proud of and it And cool. And I'm like, yeah, good <laughs> good for you. Yeah. Uh, and I think that they've done a pretty good job of making the show that they want to make. And again, if you're a hardcore Resident Evil fan and you want a one-to-one, -one, this is a bigger failure than the movies. <laughs> like, if, if you want fan service... This, there are times where I'm like, I think you actively went out of your way to make fans upset, but <laughs> you do work in your own right. So I think if you have no attachment to the fandom or if you are a weird person like me and I realize that I am very unique in that regard where I'm like, this is my favorite thing ever and I take nothing personally. <laughs> and I realize that's very weird. That's uh, good. Then that's I think it's, I think it's it's a fine show that maybe skews a bit younger than it is for me, you know? Yeah. Oh, amazing. Uh, what's the nerdiest thing you've done in relation to this fandom? Mm. Um, I kept... Did you get a virus? Uh, <laughs> I have not had a virus. Lived I've avoided COVID so far. <laughs> yes, I've uh, lived through a pandemic. I kept an issue of Game Pro Magazine for like a decade. Uh, so I don't know if you remember Game Pro oh, Magazine. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. Uh, so there was an issue in the anticipation and buildup of Resident Evil 2 where they're like, it was a big, like, multi-page spread, huge feature about, like, here's what's coming in Resident Evil 2. Oh. And they completely redesigned Resident Evil 2 before launch and before release. Uh, so there's these, like, there were these pages in the spread containing characters who never actually exist Whoa. in the franchise. Cool. Uh, and it was like the the female character was Ezra uh, Ezra I believe Ezra uh, uh, Walker 
uh, who is this like motorcycle club lady in a full like one piece leather motorcycle suit. What? And that character gets changed to Claire Redfield, who is the sister of the male protagonist in the first game. And it all works, but it's like, it's this, it's this like cool, different lead lady with a different name who's named in the article with the interviewers. Whoa. And like, it's scenes from like, places in the game they never go. And in a pre-internet era where like, or an, even an early internet era where we had access to stuff but things weren't Rolodexed, you know, like nothing was indexed yet yeah. so you couldn't pull up and reference stuff. So like, it would be like, I'd talk to friends about Resident Evil and I'd be like, this is what it was. Uh, and they'd be like, that doesn't exist. And I'd have to be like, look at the proof. Ah. So I think for like a decade, I kept that magazine to be like, this is this is a living history of a thing that could have been and wasn't and never was. And then uh, at some point as the, the internet became available and the developers were like, we're just gonna put some concept art up online. I'm like, all right, I don't think I need to hold this yeah. relic uh, of what was. Now you could anymore. just send them a link and be like, look, look what it was. Yeah. It yeah. almost was. Wild. Yes. Uh, amazing. Uh, so we went through the the maze-like uh, internet to find some mm -hmm. hot takes from our listeners uh, and also just general hot takes on the internet. Uh, so I'm just going to jump right into them. Uh, this one's from a friend of the podcast, Kat Letwin. Uh, Resident Evil lost its way when it leaned into both action and supernatural lore as opposed to sticking with the unraveling of a frightening corporate mystery with terrifying consequence. Hubris run amok is always more interesting than, yep, it was a cult pump em full of shotgun. I agree and disagree. Oh, I, right. I do agree that, uh, oh no, it's a virus made by a corporation. It hits me way harder. I think it's way better. I agree with that. But as I mentioned earlier, it's like the ebb and flow of like, they've got to fail. They've got to go to weird places in order to circle back. And the other thing that I think that like this series has always done is that it takes very, it's very influenced by, by uh, Western media and culture, even though it is, initially a game that was developed as a tie-in to a Japanese movie, and it's made by a Japanese company. It's about uh, an American pharmaceutical corporation that takes place in America with all American characters. Yep. And it is very influenced by American horror and American style. And in the, the second game, they kind of introduced this character called like Tyrant or Mr. X, who is this like lumbering, unstoppable Hulk just smashing through walls who just walks after you the whole time. Ugh. And it's very based on the first Terminator. It's meant to be a Terminator. It's Got meant it. to be like, if if this person's a bullet sponge who can't be stopped, he never needs to run after you. It is just someone who walks after you all of the time. Uh, and it's very upsetting and scary, and especially oh. in the remake. But I think that these games also follow the rhythm of some of its American influences, which is like Terminator and Alien as well, which are game, which are movies that uh, in the first one are pure horror thriller, and the second one transition to thriller action, yep. and then in the third one transition into action so over the top you need to reset this franchise. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that is the natural rhythm of creating a multi-arc horror action blend that you need to go that way. And I think even like canonically it works. Like uh, in these franchise, like in like a one to three example or like a four, five, six, it's like, 
and seven eight. It's like a character who is unprepared, who's like, I'm living my life, everything's fine. Oh shit, zombies. Next year when zombies happen again, that character's like, I've learned to print my own bullets and I've been going to a shooting range and I eat nails. Yeah. And it's like, okay, of course, of course you would be yeah, like after that. After living through yeah. that first thing, yeah, you so would get ready. You're going yeah. to be more prepared for the second thing. And it feels very like Linda Hamilton and Terminator 2 doing pull-ups in a psych ward yeah. where it's just like, yeah, yeah, you are a shit-kicking beast because you're waiting for this to pop off yeah. again. Yeah, you know now. And yeah, and I think that the action gameplay, even though they've, they've tightened it up and they've made it work, isn't as fun as the horror and it's not my personal fave and it's not what I would put on to to really enjoy this. It is something that I'm like you need to have that that ebb and flow and that rhythm and it's very it's very much all of the influences it has. Yeah. I think it's a very important part of Resident Evil. All right. Okay, so we have this hot take that like a couple people sort of s- b- touched on this in one way, but one of them was Hawkeye on Twitter. Thank you, Hawkeye. Um, which was, what is actually Umbrella's plan? Wiping out the entire world population to leave only an elite few means wiping out your entire customer base, and you have no one to rule. Also, somebody else mentioned that it would be far more evil if uh, Umbrella stopped all the zombie mon- nonsense and just focused on capitalism. Well, if I were to break down <laughs> Umbrella's plan... <laughs> It is step one, virus. Step two, step three, money. (laughs) So that is is the entirety of their plan. There are so many holes, it is Swiss cheese in their plan. Like, there are times where it's just like, an entire state was destroyed because we had to nuke it to hide our thing. Anyway, how do we get stocks up next quarter? I'm like... You, stocks are down. Globally, stocks are down because a nuke went off in America. Everything has failed. Every like, there's no. So I think that there is no scenario where their plan works in any regard. It's full of holes. I think when it works is when they draw attention to it not working because there are times where Umbrella is this pharmaceutical company that's like. We sell pharmaceuticals, and also we made a virus that we're secretly selling as a bioweapon. Tee hee 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 hee. But like the three really rich uh, people, uh, uh, Marcus, uh, it was uh, Spencer, and uh, fuck, I forget the third. But there was three really rich people who were smart scientists, and they had a bunch of money. And they essentially were like, we just want to experiment on people, and we all kind of want to become gods in our own way. Uh, Ashford was the other. So Marcus Spencer, Ashford. So they were just like, we're fucking sick, we're rich, and we just want to experiment, and maybe we'll become superheroes, and uh, who gives a shit? We We have no regard for the human race. They then created Umbrella as a, like, we're going to have a fake front for our evil front, but even people who were involved on the evil side of Umbrella didn't know that these three fucks don't even really care about the evil shit. (laughs) So it's like everyone involved in the evil side is like, we're hiding our bioweapons, which we're selling to the government, and we're terrorists. And then these three rich fucks who started the public side and the evil side are just like, yeah, that's what we're doing. When in reality, they're just like, I wonder if I can make my son a god. Like, they're all oh insane people who what? are just selfish. That's when I think Umbrella Plan, when Umbrella's plan works is when they draw attention to it not working. And yes, they would be way more profitable if they just stopped doing bioweapons. Sounds like a turducken of evil people. Yeah, yeah, there's <laughs> quite a bit. It gets into some insane shit, too. Like, there is... 
there's a point now where like Umbrella doesn't exist anymore because everyone knows they made viruses and destroyed the world. And it's like they've introduced some of the factions and micro factions they've introduced are insane where they're like, there's Umbrella Blue now. And I'm like, what's Umbrella Blue? It's like, well, Umbrella closed. And then a bunch of people who hated Umbrella made Umbrella Blue, which is good. And their goal is to undo what Umbrella did. And I'm like, Call this yourself is something different. Exactly. It would be like if you came out and you're like, I'm Nazis green. It's a different color. <laughs> so therefore, I'm I'm trying to do the opposite. I'm like, the world hates that, Umbrella. No. Why are you trying to? None of no. it makes sense. And no I hate it all. No one needs this from you. It's very silly. Oh, my yeah. God. Anyway. Back to hot takes. All right. Back, back to hot takes. Back to hot takes. Um, this one is, I think that the Outbreak games are not only the pinnacle of classic Resident Evil style, but that if you don't enjoy them, you don't like what Resident Evil is really about. It should be hard. It should be hopeless. It was for the 100,000 people who died there. I mean, yeah, I, could, I can kind of agree with that. It should be hard and should be hopeless is something that like I can get into is is the heart of the franchise and is what, again, an ebb and flow thing that they need to get back to and they always kind of need to circle back to. So yeah, I can I can definitely I can definitely agree with that one. Yeah. Sick. Way to go, random internet person. <laughs> you did it. Okay, how about this one from Sil uh, Sil Hang on. Silamano1992 on Twitter. Uh, the games are not as translatable to the screen as people might think. Unless you want a zombie movie series, it's 90% puzzle solving, 7% reading dead people's diaries, and 3% surviving zombie hordes. There we go. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's very hard to translate if you do want to do a one-to-one. -one, but it has so many translatable aspects. Like... Those original movies did a really good job of translating creature design. So as much as as insane as it was, if you liked or find horrifying any of the 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 creatures, like a, a twenty foot tall dude with a pyramid head and an axe walking through the streets of Tokyo, it's like yeah, the movies fucking nailed that. Like it looks crisp as shit. Uh, the dog design in the movies, I think, is frankly better than the game. So if I, I think it does translate, but only in in elements, in these micro moments of like creature design translated to those movies. Puzzles from video games never fucking translate right. Yeah, and, like the Tomb Raider movie was a great example of that. Yeah. The recent one with Alicia Vikander, where she's just like, oh, it tells me that I need to change when the sun goes. So if I move these blue squares over to here, and I'm like. No everyone's bored no, no one cares um, although I will say for, for anyone who didn't watch it uh, the, the Resident Evil series on Netflix even though I, I don't even necessarily know it was for me or, or who it was for but I do think <laughs> if you're a fan of the games episode 5 does a really good job of taking the kind of puzzle energy of the game and putting it into a way that I think actually visually kind of Pops, where oh. it's like the sisters trying to solve like a puzzle in their apartment to get like a getaway bag, uh, and it's like there's like a thing behind a, a picture, and it turns it into like a little bit spy-y, a little bit like teen spy at the same time. And then it's like you got to play a song on a piano to unlock a door, oh. and I'm like, there's some fun levels to yeah. it. They did a pretty good job of translating the puzzles, but you can't get all of the things in one thing when right. it comes to translating this. Yeah. yeah, interesting. Okay, how about this? The games aren't scary outside a few exceptions. There can't be dumb, cheesy, and I wouldn't have it any other way. The games aren't scary? Yeah. yeah. That's insane. No, that is, <laughs> that is a pure bad take. That's a pure bad take. That is an insane thing to say. Are what's, there, what's the scariest moment in the game? Or villains. Oh. I just want to know about the villains. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I, the scariest moment. So there's one villain design uh, called the, the Licker. 
uh, which oh, is wow. kind of a. No, I don't like no, it. I know it's it's an upsetting name. It's a crawl around on all fours kind of humanoid, but it can crawl on the ceiling. Gross. It is just muscle and sinew, so no skin, so it's very wet and gross. It has no eyes nope. and just one big brain mass. Oh, yep. And it has a razor blade tongue that kind of slaps around the room. Cool, cool, uh, cool. But it, uh, it cannot see you, it can only hear you. Oh, come on. Uh, so it's making a sound and it's trying to echolocate where you are, so if, in the game, if you walk slowly, it, can't, it can kind of maybe, but when you run, it's like, you fucker, and it comes at you. Ugh. There is a moment in one of the in the first game where you're in a um, you're, there's a, a two way mirror. Uh, there's like two rooms. It's an interrogation room, and you go into the room where you're on the mirror side, no. and you're like, and it's a quiet room, and there's nothing. I hate it. Uh, and you can run around the room and do whatever you want, and like nothing occurs mm. until you pick up the object that like triggers the event, and then you pick up an object you need in this room, no. and when you go to leave, the liquor smashes through the wind, oh. the mirror. Uh. But I think like at the time you don't even realize it's a two way mirror oh, you just fuck. think it's a mirror and then it smashes and you realize you've been in an interrogation room but like that immediate like I'm in a safe room this is a safe place no. oh fuck the liquor smashing through the, the two way mirror I think is a legendary oh my horrifying God. moment that and uh, to go villains this guy Mr. X big huge dude 10 feet tall brick shit house wears a trench coat based on the Terminator yep in the Resident Evil 2 remake, uh, he is. it reaches a point once he's introduced where he's just following you around the police precinct. Mm. And all the time. Like, and you can't take him out. Like, you can knock him down, he takes a knee, and you get a few minutes. Oh. But he's all, so now it's at a point in the game where you just have to panically do everything that you need to do and avoid him. He doesn't even like other zombies. You can use him as a weapon if you run between, zigzag between some zombies and put them between you and him. He'll knock them out of the way, sometimes killing zombies. Whoa. Like, he doesn't give a fuck. That's useful. Uh, but there's a, an interesting thing about like behind the scenes of the game that it feels like he's constantly following you and looking for you because he is. So mm. even when you're in a completely different area of the map, you'll hear the heavy steps on the second oh. floor. And a lot of people when the game came out are like, yeah, it's just playing some audio cues or whatever. But you know, people will hack the game and like remove the camera into a god mode to see what's going on. And this character is constantly roaming even when he's like way off and not and in rooms not fully rendered oh where it's God. just like a skeletal structure of a room because it would waste computer power to render yeah. he is walking around and following the map of where everything is nope. opening doors looking for you everywhere it's so unsettling and I it's like him. to know that they they didn't need to do that it could just be an audio cue but the fact that like at any given time, he is actively searching this map looking for you, and the audio cues are relative to his position is very upsetting. That's a scary-ass villain. Uh, in the immortal words of Jordan Peele, nope. Nope. <laughs> Absolutely nope. Nope, indeed. Nope, oh indeed. Oh, my God. Oh, okay. Um, I just want to point out also, when you talk about the liquor, in my mm. mind, it's a licky tongue Pokemon. Oh, that's exactly what I thought too. There's like a giant <laughs> pink blob with a huge tongue, and it's like, but like a zombie version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw, a, a little yeah. bit more slender and gaunt, a little bit more height, and a little bit more uh, heroin chic. Okay, we'll say. Like, licky tongue had a rough weekend in Vegas. Yeah, tough time, back. tough time, tough time. Um, okay, this one is Resident Evil doesn't have good writing. Trying to tell an emotional story simply doesn't 
does not work with for me with the quality they can achieve. Uh, I I can kind of agree with that. I think that it has hammy writing. To say it's not good, it is not traditionally good. It is not award-winning good. It is not auteur. It is not, it is not good in the traditional sense. It is wrestling, over-the-top, hammy, campy good. Like, if you want, at one point, Albert Wesker, who's a leather daddy, who has superpowers, at one point throws his own sunglasses, teleports, catches them, and puts them on. Ah, and it's like, if, and if you like how idiotic that is, then that's good, fun writing. Like, that is, that is really fun and charming. So I think that there is... It is good in a bad way. It's the, it's the good kind of bad. Yeah. yeah. It's the good kind of bad, not the bad kind of good. Yeah, yeah. where you're still fun, you're on the ride, you're having a good time. Yeah. Absolutely. Ashley Cooper uh, does, in fact, agree with you saying Resident Evil's identity is as much about camp as it is about zombies. I couldn't agree more. Of course I agree with Ashley. Of course. Friend of the podcast. Friend Ashley of the podcast. Cooper. Ashley gets it. Yeah. It, is, it is about camp. It is about fun. It's about yeah. wild moments. Last but not least, do you have a hot take? Um, I, I, my biggest hot take is that I think it is time to update uh, the, the base themes of this game. Because in the recent games, in 7 and 8, they managed to refine the horror again of making it smaller, a, a tinier location, and yeah. kind of getting there. But they still keep it in the mainline universe. And I'm like, Umbrella, the, um, you know, the Raccoon City incident happened in 1996. Like, the game came out then. It's kind of like you're using typewriters, and it's like we're still exploring the consequences of actions that a company did in 1996. And it's a company that was like an evil pharmaceutical company in America at the people, height of like Prozac and pharmaceutical concerns. Yeah. yeah, people don't research or go after companies that did that a year ago. They've forgotten. Yeah. They don't care. And, yeah. and I and I think that that is the thing now is that like in terms of uh, air quote like corporate evil. We have such a different perception now than mm -hmm. we had in 1996, 1998. Absolutely. I think the game came out in 96. The events take place in 1998. But either way, uh, we have such a different perception now where it's like you don't need to have a public-facing kind thing and then do your evil shit underground. You can do your evil shit in public and just be untouchable, I yeah. think. Or there is like there's other concerns that we have about evil corporations, billionaires, and corporate overreach. And it's not they're quietly in their mansion in the woods doing Absolutely. their evil deeds. Absolutely. They're doing it on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And proudly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's not like, mm, what if a company sold too many Prozacs? I'm like, <laughs> that is the most 1996-ass concern oh possible. My God. Absolutely. Uh, yes. So I'm like, we kind of need to update what, the main villain, which has always been Umbrella, even though they don't necessarily exist in the same way anymore in the mainline universe, but they represented so much of the themes and the exploration of like of wealth and experimentation and familial and generational power. And like it represented so much and it was relevant from 96 to 2006. And then it was like semi-relevant, but falling into the distance. Right. And now it is just kind of a like, 
it's a fun placeholder for something where a spooky thing happens and things are still spooky and scary. Yeah. When a man comes at me with a chainsaw, I don't like it. But, <laughs> but no, not a fan. No, do not like. Uh, but when it's just like, what are the corporate reasons behind how this occurred? I'm like, it doesn't really make sense or work anymore. Yeah. So I think it's time for a a total overhaul for the for the political depiction and thematic factors of Resident Evil. What would you what would you posit would be a good replacement for Umbrella? Um, I honestly think that, like, because Umbrella was always, what if a a public-facing pharmaceutical company actually did military contracts? And I'm like, I think that they're less uh, a pharmaceutical company and more of a Lockheed Martin is, like, the modern-day parallel to right, be like, yeah. just be a weapons manufacturer. Just and it's like, we're making evil shit, and we made things a little bit illegal and evil and also you can't touch us because yeah. we own everything we own yeah. we we buy politicians absolutely as yeah. opposed to like it's uh you know as, as it was was very much like we bought the police chief in this small town shush yeah, yeah. and i'm like you can go <laughs> way fucking bigger than the police chief yeah, yeah yeah uh so i think that it would be like a a weapons manufacturer would be yeah. the, the modern day equivalent of it and i think that like a similar and very popular video game franchise that did kind of evolve and expand and try exploring different themes in in a similar way was Metal Gear Solid, mm, right. which went from like, we're talking about uh, nuclear proliferation, and now we're going to be talking about uh, genetic modification and eugenics, and now we're going to be talking about nanotechnology as the series progressed yeah. to be like, we are a, we are a Cold War-inspired political thriller video game series but how does the year this new game comes out affect that? Yeah, and yeah. I think they did a really good job of evolving, uh, and I think and and still having big bombastic wrestling style characters, yeah, yeah, yeah. where it's like I'm a man who's a bat, and I'm like, okay, Metal Gear Solid, <laughs> this one's about nano machines, and a man is a, a vampire, so you can still have those bombastic personalities while having a more modernized yeah. threat, yeah. and I think that that would be it. Oh. That's amazing. Yeah, what a good take. Um, so at the end of every episode, we like to share our micro-fandoms of the week, which we will do in one hot little moment. Uh, before we do, we want to just talk about how you can support the show, should you so choose. Uh, many free ways that would be greatly appreciated. You can come and chat with us. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Fandom Show Pod. Uh, we also have a spot on the From Superheroes Discord, so come chat with us there. It's a lot of fun. If you have ideas for future episodes or you want to catch up on past episodes or you just want to say sup, uh, visit us at thefandomshow.com. Uh, and please tell tell your buds about us. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell your coworkers. Tell your dog. Tell your dog. A cat? I don't know. I'm not picky. Just tell people about it. Tell us. Um, uh, tell us. And you know what a great way to tell us would be is getting on your podcast provider of choice, though ideally Apple Podcasts, and a little rate, review, and subscribe would be amazing. So we would good. love that. We love it. Um, you can even have a one-sentence review uh, that would help us move up in the charts. Uh, maybe put like eight-foot woman. Yeah. Uh, and we'll all remember that beautiful yeah. moment we looked at that picture of that big, beefy <laughs> Lady D. Yeah, what would you say if someone was running at you with a chainsaw? Would it be ah? Would it be nope? Would it be yep? It would be just me falling down and just a thud. Yeah, so let's hear some of that. Uh, yeah, even a one-sentence uh, reviewer word uh, helps us move up in the charts. It means more people can learn about different fandoms and hopefully one day become fan-fans of their own. Yay! This show will always be free, but if you would like to support us monetarily, uh, you can always find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash thefandomshow where you can throw some of your hard-earned dollars your way, our way. 
your way, our way, our way, whatever uh, way you want. For a couple of bucks a month, we'll give you a shout out. Uh, we'll we have a monthly newsletter. You can play our custom monthly trivia. Um, there's all sorts of wonderful things. So check it out. And thank you so 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 much for your support. We love you. And every patron at every level gets our episodes two days early, Heck so yeah. you can come chat with us. And other people will be like, "What are you talking about? Yeah. I don't know what this is." And you'll be like, Haha, "Wait two days, bitches." Welcome to our cool and affordable club. Uh, and our theme song is by Yusu Kim, and our logo is by John Blair. So thank you to both of them so much. And now, our micro-fandoms of the week. Uh, yes. Let's start with you, Kaya. What are you fanning? Hey, do you know about Lizzo? She's awesome. I do. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me more. Well, there's this person named Lizzo. She makes music, and she recently released an album. And whoa, what a fun album. It's about it's, damn time. It's about damn time. It's, it's, a, it's just full of bops. It's a real feel-good album. Um, like all the way through, it's just a lot of like, oh, it's dancey, it's it's upbeat, it's you can tell in its core, it's a very like, hey, we all spent two years inside. Let's just not for a bit. Let's yeah? just feel nice for a little while. Let's just go all out yeah. for a minute. Yeah, one hundred percent. And like in the the about damn time, which is her single off it, like you can really, really, really hear her being like, all right, we're out. Let's 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 yeah. feel happiness again. And that's what the the album really feels like to me. And I am grooving about it. Oh, I love that. So that's me. You, Steph. Okay, so. Uh, there's a bunch of conventions uh, run by Informa, a fan expos, one of the main ones. And this summer, the four hobbits have all been touring the fan expos together. I've been following it religiously. I'm so excited about it. There's pictures on all of their individual Instagrams. Fan expos putting them out. And they're coming to Toronto. They're coming to Toronto, and I can't handle it um, on... Oh, they're coming August 27th, I think. And I want to cry. I want to cry just at the thought of meeting Billy Boyd. Like, I don't know how I'm going to make it happen. I also love Elijah Wood, but I've met Elijah Wood at Fan Expo. And just like Billy Boyd is like my my Hobbit uh, equivalent. And I just think he seems like the loveliest man. And he just, I, I can't, I'm losing my mind just thinking about the possibility of seeing him from afar uh, okay, breathe through it. You got it. Oh, God, I love those hobbits yeah. so much. Anyways, that's what I'm fanning about. It's just the thought of maybe seeing Billy Boyd across a room. Um, fandoms can be anything, my friends. <laughs> sometimes they're just <laughs> yeah, seeing they, someone. Sometimes it's a conceptual thought about a possibility. <laughs> Truly, I think about it constantly. I, I have had dreams recently where I've met the four hobbits and uh, the person who owns Comedy Bar in Toronto, in my dream, like made it work so that I got to meet the four hobbits and I cried so much and tried to also play it like super cool with them. Be like, whatever, we're all buds. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Your fandom can be something as obscure as Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> the actors who played the hobbits in Lord of the Rings. I ship their friendship. Mm -hmm. That is my ship. That's I true. wrote fan fiction about them as the actors being hobbits. Yep, that's true. That's a that's fact. A, that's my fandom is the actors who played the hobbits who also have a group chat that's just they called the hobbits and I, like that's the cutest fact I've ever heard. Wonderful. It's so cute. I love them. All right. Andrew, what are you <laughs> fanning out about today? Uh, my micro fandom right now is a show I've been catching up on and it is called For All Mankind. Uh, it's an Apple Plus show and it's in its third season currently. I'm only halfway through the second season so I am behind and catching up. Uh, but it's one uh, friend of the podcast 
podcast and on the network Craig Fay recommended to me. And I'm really, really digging it. It's so much fun. It's a uh, it's a reimagined history uh, story, which normally I avoid and I hate because uh, reimagined histories I find so often are just like, what if the stinkers won? Like, <laughs> like reimagined history stories, it's always just like, this one's called the Confederacy. It's about what if the Confederacy, this one is what if the Nazis won? I'm like, I don't care if history's villains won. I know that you think that it is dramatic catnip and it's not. Uh, and this one, For All Mankind, its premise is, and, and I kind of avoided it because of its premise, its premise was, what if the Soviets won the space race? So it was, what if the first person on the moon was uh, was Russian? Whoa. And uh, I'm like, oh, okay, so it's another, like, what if our enemy won story? But basically, what it becomes about is... What if the Soviets win the space race and they have the first person on the moon? And it's essentially just the American ego is unable to accept defeat, so the space race never ends. So essentially, oh. it is basically just like this this era of American exce exceptionalism being like, well, sure, they put the first person on the moon. We're going to put the first woman on the moon. We're going to have the first moon base. We're going to have the and it oh. and it never stops because of this kind of national insecurity about we can't lose the race. And it does a great revisionist history thing of like, of really having this, this trickle effect of how that affects everything where it's just like, because America loses the space race, public completely loses opinion in Nixon way faster. Yep. And it's like, then Ted Kennedy gets elected and it's like, it's, and, and like the, the, the suffragette civil rights movement happens way sooner. And it's all of these like cascading effects that feel not far-fetched at all. Yeah. And it's just like, and now because we've got a space base, it's like we have electric cars way sooner because they had to develop it for the road. And it just keeps going in a way that's really fun to show how far, and if you love space, you'll adore this show because it is competency porn top to bottom. Even though mistakes <laughs> happen, it is a bunch of people doing really good work, and I love that. Um, and it's, it's Ronald it's D. Great. Moore, right? It's the Battlestar Galactica uh, guy. You know what? I actually don't even know who makes it. Yeah, there's, oh. a, uh, there's a podcast I really love that I've referenced here before called Imaginary Worlds, and they did an episode on where they uh, did an interview with him, I think, yeah. about this. Um, and yeah, it's... It, he he's he was the showrunner for this. Oh, um, interesting. So like, I think there's a lot of overlap there of like okay. the 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 competency competency. Yeah, a competency porn. Yeah. yeah, there we go. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it also does a really good job. Uh, last thought on it is just like for something that is a period piece, it does a really good job of uh, addressing awkward issues without glamorizing it. Uh, because I feel like that is also a problem with a lot of period piece dramas where it's like, uh, especially like the madman paradox when Oof. it's just like, this is a satire and critique of people of this era. And everyone's like, I know when you could grab ass was really great. And I'm like, what? no one is really taking away the right thing here. <laughs> no, no, that's not it. So that's not it. <laughs> your camera can't glamorize something while you're writing critiques it. Yeah. Uh, and this doesn't do that. Like it starts off as a very white male cast, but as the world progresses way faster, the cast of characters and their depth diversify so fast and quickly. Cool. And it's done in a way that is at times awkward and addressing actual social issues without trying to do it for pretentious award bait 
or without glamorizing the the white male perspective of the era, which uh, a lot of things have a problem with. Fascinating. So I, I really like it. It's found a very sweet spot of like a lot of things I normally have a problem with, and I'm like, you tap danced over every fucking laser beam that I laid out for you. <laughs> oh, beautiful! Mm. Uh, the classic tap dancing laser beam scene. <laughs> We all know it. We all know it. We all love it. <laughs> uh, Andrew, thanks so much for being here in your own house. Um, <laughs> I where, live here. Where can people find you? Anything you want to plug? Uh, here, my home. Uh, <laughs> you can find me hosting the other po- one of the other podcasts on this network. I'm the co-host of the Talk from Superheroes podcast, along with Diana McCollum. And uh, you can search for Talk from Superheroes wherever you're listening to this right now, and you'll find it. And every week we discuss a piece of heroic television or film. This week, the episode that was released yesterday was about the Resident Evil Netflix TV show. So if you want to hear more Resident Evil talk, uh, head on over there and then also just any superhero movie or TV show search it we've done an episode on it it's all over there yep that's, and, that's a fact and you can find me online just generally at Ivamy I-V-I-M-E-Y amazing thank you so much uh, and to all of you out there till next time love the things you love and tell everyone about them bye 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 The Fandom Show is produced by Andrew Ivamy as part of the From Superheroes Network. For more great podcasts like this, as well as webcomics, articles, and so much more, visit FromSuperheroes.com.